The battle of wizards and warriors continues with iron swords. The evil wizard Malkil will take the shape of the earth, wind, water, and fire. Farewell! The fate of the world is in your hands! You're listening to the Piercing Wizard Podcast, and I'm your host, Ryan Willette. I'm a professional body piercer with 20 years experience. I travel around the world teaching technique and safety classes, and I'm a member of the Association of Professional Piercers. Listen in as I talk to my friends and colleagues about our industry so we can all stay sharp. Hi, everybody. How you doing? Thanks for coming back to another episode of the Piercing Wizard Podcast. This episode I recorded uh, when I went to go see Lola. I just got back from seeing her in Glasgow, and I didn't bring all my podcast gear. I didn't bring my fancy mics or anything like that. Uh, but we really wanted to, to talk about some stuff and record a podcast episode. So I just recorded it with my laptop. Uh, the audio is not great, but I think the conversation is, so uh, it's, it's worth publishing. We talk all about aftercare. Um, I posted something on my Patreon asking what people were interested in content-wise, and uh, some of the subjects that kept coming up over and over again was aftercare and and troubleshooting. So Lola and I are planning on doing um, not necessarily a series, but we're we're planning on revisiting this topic a a few times over the next few podcasts. But this conversation was really nice. We were just kind of hanging out in her apartment. We were doing a puzzle and just like relaxing together. Um, if you're one of my Patreon supporters, you can watch the video version of that podcast. Um, and it's just a, a really nice kind of thing. It feels like you're just kind of hanging out in the living room with us while we're doing a puzzle. So it's a it's a wide-reaching conversation. Uh, I really like it. It's not necessarily like a, a, a thing about this is our aftercare speech. This is exactly what we tell our, our clients. We, we do talk about the discussions that we go over with our clients. We tell them, do this and don't do this. But this podcast is really about like, well, why do we tell them that? So we talk about historical aftercare, um, you know, those generations of, of aftercare when it was dial and Bactine and getting into homemade sea salt solution and now sterile saline, which is really all Lola and I suggest for aftercare. And we talk about why and how, how to best use it, uh, regional differences between where Lola lives and, and where I live, and a lot of different things that might come up during uh, aftercare. We talk about wound ha- uh, wound healing, and we talk about a, a lot of information. So it's, it's a great conversation, especially if you're in a, a point in your career where you don't necessarily know why you tell people this, but, but not this, or you know why we used to tell people this 10 years ago, but now we're telling this uh, today. So it's a it's a really nice conversation. Other news coming up. Let's see. I've got some new content for you at Patreon. No surprise there. Uh, I just published a video about how I pierce nostrils from the inside out, um, and I included a, an exercise so you can try that stuff at home. It's all narrated. It's all at Patreon.com/RyanPBA, so you can go ahead and check that out. My content for uh, May 2022. Voted on by my uh, my Patreon supporters, it, it will be rook piercings. I've got three different rooks, a uh, combination of uh, different techniques to to show off. So I've got you know piercing from the bottom up with a curved needle and piercing from the top down into a receiving tube. So it's a pretty wide ranging video. It talks about a lot of different techniques and methods and marking and aftercare, needle bending, a couple different things. So really excited to to finish that and get that published. As I record this. I'm just a day or two away from heading down to uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee for a, a seminar there. 
uh, and I'm going to be uh, out in Vegas a couple of times over the next few weeks. The end of May, I'll be at the Coalition for Tattoo and Piercing Safety event. Um, and then in June is the APP conference. I'm really looking forward to that. I'll be teaching my safe practices in the piercing room workshop, two sessions of that. So I'd love to see you there. And if you're going to be at, uh, at the APP conference in Vegas, make sure you check out the uh, Body Art Education by Ryan Willett booth at, at the, uh, the expo floor. I'll be there with a, a table promoting my Patreon and the podcast. I've got some uh, some free merch giveaways for for conference, and I'll have a couple different uh, exclusive merch items. I've got a new uh, G4 Statum Cult uh, pin to to sell there. So uh, cool, fun stuff coming up for the summertime, and Lola's going to be there with me. So double excited about that. So let's go ahead and get into this conversation again. I apologize for the audio. Um, you can hear what we're saying, but it, it really sounds a little bit echoey and like, you know, you're on the other side of a, of a big room, but enjoy the conversation. If you're one of my Patreon supporters, check out the video version of the podcast and I'll be back a little bit more at the end. Hi, uh, welcome back to the piercing wizard podcast. I'm in Glasgow in Lola's flat and we're going to do a puzzle and drink mimosas and talk about aftercare. Aftercare. We're going to talk about aftercare. So, show them the puzzle. So, if you're um, listening to this and not watching it, we have a 500-piece jigsaw puzzle of African animals. And we're going to be doing that. And I know that there are people out there who are puzzle people who are probably like, 500 pieces. Amateurs. But we're just trying to relax. Yeah, this is like puzzle ASMR. Are we gonna look at the picture as we go, or do we just try to wing it? I don't feel like I need the picture to tell me what a lion looks like. Okay. So you wanted to talk about aftercare. I mean, I didn't really, okay. but I made um, a survey. I made a survey. Um, on my Patreon asking what topics people were interested in and aftercare kept coming up a lot. Aftercare and anodizing. So I think I'm also going to make um, a video about anodizing maybe sometime in June. But Isn't that how you got your name, the piercing wizard, from anodizing? Yeah, so um, Aaron Foster um, pierces out in uh, Denver, Colorado, and he pierced for me for a few years before he moved out there. And um, we, we got an anodizer. I got an anodizer when I was at a conference. I bought it from Brian Scally, and he gave me like a little crash course on how to anodize because he's like a wealth of knowledge. And then when I came home, I forgot everything he told me. So I had to kind of like figure it out figure it out, and um, that was when Aaron and I were working together, and we were just kind of experimenting and playing around and figuring out what settings made what colors and how to get good results and all that stuff, and it was really fun and interesting, and um, he was just joking around, and he was just like, oh, it's like magic, like you're like some sort of piercing wizard, and then that's, like that's where the Having that, yeah. taking that to the fucking bank. Trademark. Now you're going to be... 
The Piercing Puzzle Podcast. The Piercing Puzzle Podcast. Well, so I made a t-shirt. <clears throat> I had this I had this tattooer that worked for me when my shop did tattooing. And um, his name was Angry Al. And he had like a very... For people who are familiar with tattoo culture, he had a very Spalding and Rogers type tattoo style. Do you know what I mean when I say that? No. Like, I'm, I'm, you know, just American style okay. tattooing. <coughs> anyway. Um, so I asked him to draw me. Uh, I think that the input I gave him was, I want it to be a, a piercing wizard. I want there to be some purple in the design, and I want it to look like it could be airbrushed on the side of a van. And that's how he came up with the piercing wizard design. We, we made a t-shirt, and um, nobody really gave a shit about the t-shirt. And like I made, I made a bunch, and they just sat around for a while. And then when I got to the point where I needed to have a name for a podcast, I was like, what the hell am I going to call it? And I was like, piercing wizard. I'll call it piercing wizard. And that's, uh, that's how the podcast got its name. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, Aaron. I hope you're doing good out there, buddy. Yeah. All your legal marijuana access. Um, so, aftercare. Uh, aftercare and troubleshooting. I would like to do this, maybe not as like a series, but I would like to do one that focuses on aftercare, like what to do when you have a new piercing with ideal um, you know, scenarios. And then maybe we could do another episode later to talk about troubleshooting, like, when you have a non-ideal scenario. I don't know if, if I have enough things to say about all those things for them to be two separate things. I mean, you can see how long it takes us to do this and then decide if you think it can all fit in one thing. Usually when I do a subject more than once, it's because I forgot a whole bunch of stuff oh, that okay. I wanted to say. Well, um... Aftercare. Aftercare. Is that when so, when um when you peg me and then you like cradle me after and tell me I'm a good boy? Yes. That's aftercare. Sorry if you thought it was going to be piercing aftercare. Yeah. I can see why you'd be confused because this is the Go piercing wizard podcast. Edge piece. Um. Uh. Anyway. Um. So. You were visiting my shop. Yeah. This week. Well, you were visiting me. Well, I was visiting, no, well, yeah, bonus, I get to see you. To see my shop. And um, so, to have an extra person in the studio, because I work in a private studio, I always like to validate their presence so that it's not weird for clients. They're just being this extra person there so they don't feel like watched, you know, like or scrutinized in some weird way. It's usually just me or maybe me and my counter person, Jordan. Um, so, I was like that to Ryan. Why don't you, you know, give them a wee form and go over their aftercare with them? Because you can do that, and it just gives you a little thing to do. So it's not like you're just like this ghost in the background that I'm so acknowledging. You know how nervous I get doing aftercare for your clients? Well, I stumbled over it so many times. That was what I was going to say. So, like, Ryan has 10 years more experience piercing than me. And I have an aftercare sheet and everything. And then I was like, you can go and do the aftercare. And straight away, it's just like, well, what if I say something wrong? What if I say... And I'm like, there's nothing that you can say that's going to be, like, wrong well, or different to me. So here's, um, here's the main thing, though, is I have learned through my various travels that aftercare is not universal and worldwide, yeah. that it's very much regional. Mm -hmm. um, so that's really what, what makes me nervous, because I've talked to... Like, 
when I do classes and people ask, like, what's an initial size that you would use for this or that, or a healing time, or recommended period before downsizing, like, when I give answers, I'll always have somebody's hand instantly shoot up and be like, well, what about this concern and that concern? And it's like, oh, okay, well, that's a good way to think about it because I don't have those concerns in Nashua, New Hampshire. Well, all I was going to say was that I think it just highlights that it, it doesn't matter how much experience you have. There's always that fear of, like, well, what, what should I say? Like, is this going to be different from mine? So, like, I don't think there's a point in your career you can get to where your aftercare style is completely static. Like, I think that it's always changing and adapting all the time, which I think is really good. Um, mine certainly changed a lot over the years. And I think now I try and keep it a little bit more... Um, um, a little bit more adaptable. Um, and I try and... and keep it to the kind of core bullet points that I want people to absolutely not deviate from. Mm -hmm. And then we'll kind of have a little bit of more of an expanded chat over what specific things might benefit them and help them. But I've learned uh, that it's really easy to overwhelm clients um, by giving them too much information. There's a point at which you become too helpful. Yeah. And if you have like 30 points to give to a customer and you say them all in the same tone, then they don't yeah, know which the they have. Yeah, exactly. I had this exact conversation with my counter person the other day because they were being so helpful to the customer. It verged over to being like too helpful. And I was like, Jordan, no one's going to remember all of those things. And nobody is going to um, understand what are the, the highlights and what are just like kind of little things to keep in mind and considerations. So we went back and kind of ran through it a few more times to just try and get them to understand that while the information they were giving was really good, they didn't say anything wrong, mm -hmm. the rhythm with which it was delivered was a, just a beat off, yeah. and that's what the problem was. So I think even if your aftercare is like perfect, the delivery of the aftercare and how it's acknowledged and ingested is super important. This is going to make me sad to say it out loud, but I'm going to say it out loud anyway. Um, I really, really enjoyed forcing Rob to do aftercare, yeah. like, spur of the moment, like, if he'd be in and he'd be shadowing me, um, I would just surprise him and be like, okay, Rob's going to walk into the aftercare, because I wanted to get a grasp of how he would convey information yeah. to someone, and then give him constructive criticism, and I was right there, and I could tell the client, like, okay, so, you know, here's, here's a slightly you know, different version, you know, more experienced version, or whatever. Um, and that was always really cute to see him get, like, flustered. Um, yeah. I think that aftercare is something that changes over time, less so now. Um, you said you've been piercing for 10-ish years, right? Oh, it's 12 12, now, 12 years, okay, 12 years. The last couple of years have been a bit of a shit show. I've been piercing in, in my studio for 22, and then, you know, amateur for a couple of years before that. Um, did you connect these or were they connected? Yeah, I did one, I think. Oh, wait, no, that's not it. I'm just sorry. I got excited. These don't even go together. They just fit. I didn't fit them together. I know, it's just it's the mystery of the dance. Okay. Um, but what was your aftercare when, not when you first started getting pierced, because I think people, like, without information, they fall back into a place of, like, how do you take care of a cut or a scratch? Mm -hmm. So when you started piercing in a studio, however you define that, um, what was, what were you telling people? When I started piercing in a studio, 
It was making your own saline solution. It was a quarter teaspoon of sea salt to, eight a, ounces of to a mug of boiled water. A and mug. We would what a scientific measurement. Well, I don't know what eight ounces means. That's a good point. So, like, a mug is, you know, different from a teacup, different from a pint glass. People have a pretty reasonable grasp of what a mug is. Especially in the UK, where tea is life. Yeah, um, but obviously, that's still going to vary from person to person. So, immediately, you have the issue of the strengths being different, possibly with every time you're making it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was all there was. And um, I know that we've talked about it a little bit, but sterile saline isn't... Um, a high street product typically in the UK. High street means that like you can't commonly find it in stores. Yeah. Uh, she'll say words like chemist when I would say words like pharmacy. Uh, so high street would just be like commonplace. The promenade. The promenade. <laughs> the, the regular old stores. Like, yeah, high street. Um, so now I think that we as in you and I but we as in piercers are really spoiled just because of the not everywhere, but um, the greatly increased access to sterilized saline. Yeah. Um, but when I started, it was very much, uh, it was dial soap and Bactine. So I, uh, I like to talk to clients. Like when clients come in sometimes, I have to, I don't know if this happens to you as often. I have to convince them that I know why I'm telling them to not use products, not just that I'm telling them to use a certain thing. I get that a lot because, you know, you saw today, like, I have to explicitly say to people, and it's on my aftercare as well, don't use contact lens saline. It's not the same saline. And I'm already at a disadvantage because it says sterile saline on Mm -hmm. the bottle. So, like, any consumer would be reasonable in thinking that's what sterile saline was. But I have to explain once it's open, it's not sterile, it's not just saline because it's not just sterile salt water. There's other ingredients in there. Let's slow it down and we'll we'll get to the products to not use or the products that we at least tell people to not use and and why. But I want to talk about historical aftercare first. Because when when piercing started in the 70s, professional piercing started in the 70s anyway, um, I think a lot of it still went back to that well, how do you take care of a cut or a scratch or an open wound or whatever? And it was probably like rubbing alcohol, maybe peroxide. Um, So that carried through into the 80s. And then I think every generation of piercing aftercare and and piercers was kind of like this epiphany of like, oh, do this, it's so much better. And it it might have been better, um, but it wasn't the best. And I think that we're kind of plateaued now with saline, where I think that saline is the best for now. Um, I'm open to other ideas, but... So in the 80s, it went from alcohol to things probably more like antibiotic ointments, bacitrace and neosporin-type stuff. And then towards the end of the 80s, uh, into the 90s, I think it was like antibacterial soap. Antibacterial. Not just soap, but antibacterial soap with triclosan, which would kill... um, the ba- some of the bad stuff on your skin, but could also kill some of the good stuff on your skin. So, like, yeah, it, it did eliminate bacteria, but people also didn't have a great understanding of how a body piercing heals. And I, I remember when I was... Um, Ooh, I two of the same eyes. Okay. Don't know what animal they're for. I'm um, not looking at the picture. Okay, squid, I think. Um, I remember when I was, like, 17 or 18, 
when I was trying to learn stuff about piercing, I would just buy random videos about like anything piercing related out of the back of tattoo magazines. And they had one from some tattoo convention and it was like some big biker piercer guy. And he was like explaining how to clean these new nipple piercings he did on someone at a tattoo convention. And he's like, massage it with dial soap and then rotate the jewelry to work the soap into it. And you have to do that three to five times a day. And it's like, how much damage would you be doing? Like, maybe that's why piercing grew so slowly at a certain point because like people just couldn't heal stuff. But so it went from dial soap. And then when, when I started piercing, it was kind of the, the, the tail end of dial soap. And, um, uh, it was Bactine. Bactine is a BZK uh, active ingredient, so benzylconium chloride. And it works really good for killing bacteria and being relatively uh, mild for a wound, but on the exterior of the body. It wasn't really intended to get into the interior of a wound. I think I got a snoot. Is that a snoot? That's a snoot. Oh, it's got antelope. Yeah. Here we go. Um... I think that that's a big part of understanding aftercare is understanding that a piercing is a very unique type of wound. It's an incredibly slow healing wound. So if you take a first aid type product, um, something that's only designed to be used for maybe three to five days maximum, and then think, I'm going to use this product for seven months. That obviously is not going to have the desired effect. Similarly to products like Corsidil. Corsidil um, is um, uh, chlorhexidine diglucinate mouthwash. Um, It's like a a medicated mouthwash. It stays on the skin and it helps uh, inhibit or uh, restrict bacterial reproduction. Mm -hmm. So um, it basically keeps the mouth, I think the term is like bacteriostatic. Um, for I think up to two hours after it's been used if used properly. So it's a very very heavy duty mouthwash. It's not designed for like everyday use. You're supposed to use it for a maximum of ten days. That would be for so, like if people got oral surgery exactly. or wisdom teeth taken yeah. out or something. So it's another example of like a type of aftercare product for saying oral piercing. Mm-hmm. There would be no reason to use that for more than ten days, and even then you wouldn't need to use it. For an initial piercing, it's something that's used if someone has like um, oral surgery yeah. or potential infection. Oral wound healing, but gums. a really important thing to understand is body piercing is not the same as wound healing. Like wound healing, a lot of the times it's just getting the wound to close as fast as possible so that your body isn't susceptible to bacteria. But a, a, a piercing, um, you're trying to create a fistula. You're trying to create a healthy channel of tissue. Um, and if you overdo it for aftercare, it's really easy to just start building up scar tissue instead of building up healthy epithelial tissue, healthy fistula tissue, and you just get like a lump of scar tissue. So a lot of the failures <coughs> of body piercing through the 80s and the 90s, I, I think, was based on a lot of different things, but one of them was poor aftercare, and not poor as a negligent aftercare, just as in piercers didn't know enough about wound healing and aftercare yet. So it goes from that dial and bactine phase, which like when I, when I first opened my studio, I was selling the little tiny bottles of the orange dial and I was sending people to CVS to buy bactine and all that stuff. And then, um, my big epiphany of like, Oh, this is so much better 
was when I came back from my first APP conference and everybody was talking about homemade sea salt solution. Mm -hmm. And um, homemade sea salt solution, you know, if you mix it properly, the salinity of it, like the, the salt level of it, can be similar to a saline, which is like the, the natural moisture in your body, but um, almost nobody would mix it correctly. Yeah. They would always think like more salt meant like a better healing process and people would put in two or three or however many times the amount of salt that they needed. And then the solution wasn't sterile. It was just exposed to the open air and it would grow bacteria in it basically over time. So unless you were remixing it every day, you were kind of just cleaning your piercing with like germ solution. Well, to jump back to, you know, the issue of getting clients to actually buy sterile saline, one of my biggest selling points isn't that it's better than making your own saline. I mean, it is because it's it, it, for a lot of different reasons, but there are a lot of people... I'm not working on your pen. There are a lot of people who have made their own saline many, many times and are mm -hmm. happy with it. So saying to one of those people, oh, it doesn't work, it's a wasted argument because they're already convinced that it does. Mm -hmm. Maybe it has worked for them, so it's a stupid argument to make. But what I will say is, well, you could go home and you could do it and you can make it yourself or you can just use this instantly. You know, you're not going to come home, you're not going to be too tired, you're yeah. not going to forget to do it, especially if you, you can carry it. it with you. Yeah, you can carry it with you. You can just pair it up with something like brushing your teeth, you know, something that you, you'll always remember to do if you just keep it there. It takes seconds to spray this onto your skin. Are you supposed to brush your teeth? Yes. Okay. At least once a week. <laughs> So you're, you know, you just spray it directly onto your skin, leave it on there whilst you're doing a few other bits and pieces, and then, you know, cleanse it off appropriately. And that's what gets people to buy it. Like, that's when people are like, yeah, I'm probably not going to make it myself, yeah. and they just buy it. So it's it's the accessibility and the ease of use mm -hmm. that actually has been the biggest seller for me. Um, and it's kind of like I talked about when I did the, the class for LVP about... Um, like communicating with your clients and how to sell a safer product. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the easiest way to sell a safer product isn't just by relying on the word safe because you're already going to alienate every client that's ever had a different experience. Mm -hmm. So it's convenience is the real way to get clients on board with something. Wouldn't you like it to be this easy? Yeah. You know, this canister, it's not an expensive thing. It lasts for oftentimes months and months depending on usage and it's there and you've got it. And that's usually the thing that's like, yeah, I'll just get it whilst I'm here. So it's not the safety for me that's the biggest seller. It's the convenience. Um, the, the thing that's really important when you're, when you're talking to other piercers about aftercare, though, is sometimes they get tunnel vision where they focus on the act of selling aftercare. Mm -hmm. um, should I turn this lamp on? Yeah, there's a, there's a button for it down there, and it turns on at the wall. You need to turn on the wall first, otherwise the bottom won't do anything. Okay. But now you need to push the button. <laughs> there we go. Hey! hey um, <laughs> it's really important when, like, you know, piercers, they, they, they tunnel vision on the sale of it, but what's also really massively important is... The product is nice, but you have to realize that sterile saline, at least in the U.S. and maybe a few other markets, is readily available in, in multiple stores. Um, here, people can buy it on Amazon if they needed to, whatever. So if they're not going to buy it from you, that's okay. Like, you can't make them think, like, you have to buy it from me or you won't be able to heal it. What you have to do is you have to educate them and give them some sort of like a, a problem-solving mentality of understanding that even if you don't get this from me, 
this is still the product that you want to seek out and use, even if it's not something that you can afford today or this week. And if you are going to stick with your homemade sea salt solution for now, that's fine. But work on this as a goal. This is where you can get it. And this is why it's a better product. Yeah. Don't just give up if they don't buy it from you and then just be like, well, fine, just clean it however you want to clean it, then just get out of here. Yeah. Um, so it was the, the homemade sea salt solution. And I used to, um, I used to measure out, uh, sea salt into little baggies. Yeah. Lots of places used to do that. Yeah. And I used to, I used to buy these, um, these plastic wash bottles from a medical supply company and I didn't know what the word perineum was at the time. Perineum. 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 Um, and they were perennial, uh, wash bottles. And I was like, okay, I don't know what that is. And then uh, I was informed by a client that, like, yeah, that's basically the geesh, um, the undercarriage. So I was like, I was selling those for a while, and then um, I got into the, uh, I don't know, should, can I say product? Can I say product names? Can you say product? That's your podcast. The blue can with the merman, should I say that name? The blue, the, the blue merman can. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I know who you're on about, the Eggman. The Eggman. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I am the walrus. Um, so there, there was a product that was readily available and it was heavily, heavily marketed mm. to our industry. And it was sterile and it was still sea salt based and not sodium chloride based. Um, but, you know, I think that was an important stepping stone. I sold lots of it. Um, uh, but, you know, let's not really talk about it because I don't want to get sued. But um, uh, I moved on to sterile saline and um, really happy that it's as widely available as it is but I want people to understand why it's a good product and not just like use this product so how do you talk to people to explain to them this is why I'm telling you this aftercare not just like just do this and trust me well when it comes up which it does quite often when clients say, well, you know, why can't I use this? Why can't I use TCP, Dettol, alcohol, um, you know, other kind of various like first aid wound disinfectant type products? What's TCP? You know, I can't remember what it stands for, but TCP is what they used to give you to put on your ears after you got them pierced at Claire's. Okay. It, and it's something that's often put on like bed sores. In, in the US, it's still BZK. Uh, it's, and it's a very, very, very strong smell. Mm. I wish I could remember what it stands for, but it's it's that kind of product. It's, Google it. It's incredibly strong and potent. Like me. Um, yeah, so strong. Um, so when that comes up, what I try and explain to clients is that's exactly it. You're not disinfecting because mm-hmm. you don't have an infection. Right. You don't have even the suspicion of an infection. You have clean skin, implant grade jewelry, and just exposure to regular naturally occurring. Well, all bacteria is naturally occurring, but bacteria on your skin. So what you're trying to do is just keep your skin clean and dry and happy and healthy. You have lots of resident bacteria on your skin, and that that bacteria's job is to fight off harmful transient bacteria. And that's how your skin stays healthy. And when something throws that out of balance, that's when you're most likely to get an infection. Over-cleaning your skin for days and weeks on end with a disinfectant, like you pointed out earlier, doesn't just kill off the transient bacteria, it kills the resident bacteria. And that actually can leave you more susceptible to an infection. Because your body can't fight off things on its own anymore. Common example of that is thrush. Thrush can be very often a result of over-cleaning. So can we can you can you remind me or can we remind each other, like 
We're primarily focusing on saline, like non-oral aftercare. Mm -hmm. I, I think oral piercing has, has had like a massive decline in popularity and availability. Shocking. Yeah, well, and also because like I just don't want to. But um, it's Honestly, important that we talk about oral piercing aftercare also. But yeah. let's. Yeah. I meant like vaginal thrush. Nice. Um, you know, like that can be a problem when people are using regular perfume shower gels on their genital area. Um, and throwing off the, the natural bacterial levels there and throwing off the vaginal pH and potentially getting thrush, um, a condition that's often wrongly associated with poor hygiene when it's often caused by overcleaning, over which is just like over hygiene. Over hygiene. Anyway, I probably don't ramble as much as that, but that's how I try and explain it to my customers is you don't have an infection. What are you trying to disinfect? Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe if there was a gross contamination of your piercing and you felt that, you know, saline wasn't enough, clean, warm, running water wasn't enough, maybe it would be inappropriate to use a disinfectant. I mean, like if you're in some kind of accident where dirt gets on the piercing or yeah. some kind of soil or contaminant, that I agree would make total sense as a one-off thing because that's what first aid is for, it's for short-term use. Um, it's uh, not for every day for months on end. I got in uh, in between a conversation, debate, argument, whatever, good-hearted, with uh, Rick Free, who has uh, passed away. But I remember when the the saline train was coming <laughs> down the tracks, and like lots of people were being super militant about it, and just being like, "Don't you dare tell people to mix their own sea salt solution." <laughs> And, and I was like, yeah, don't you dare tell people to put soap on it. This is when I was working on the APP Tumblr. And Rick was on the, the APP board at the time. And then he, like, super snarky, was just like, what, you don't tell people to clean their bodies anymore? And it's like, Rick, you know that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying you shouldn't be using soap on your piercing, like, five times a day. Yeah, but it's an important differentiation to make because this is a conversation I have a lot with clients regarding nostril piercings. Yeah. And they ask, well, so how am I supposed to wash my face? And I'm like, you can still wash your yeah, face. Yeah. Use your cleanser. I just, just say, like, just you know, be, be, be careful right and not just, you know, like, you know. It's the same when you're rinsing shampoo and conditioner out of your hair. A cursory brief rinse over your piercings, clean, warm, running water, isn't going to have any kind of long-term negative effect as long as you're rinsing thoroughly. So mm -hmm. similarly with washing your face, if you're using a mild facial cleanser, I'll always stress to people, please don't use anything beaded, even things that are naturally beaded with dissolvable beads, so painful to get stuck into a wound, and it's going to cause irritation as your body tries to expel it, so certainly avoid beaded products, but if you just use a mild daily facial cleanser, there's nothing wrong with still using that and washing your face. As long as you're not smothering it right on your piercing and you're rinsing it off properly at the end, you'll uh, be fine. A big thing I like to tell people because, like, I, I pierce so many nostrils, like a lot of other piercers. So a big part of my aftercare speech is talking about you need to keep. Basically, what I tell people is um, you want to avoid getting chemicals on your piercing that will include any kind of soap, makeup, or facial wash. It's fine for the rest of your face, but just keep it off that side of your nose while it's healing. And I always like to tell people, you know, facial wash is usually acid-based. Um, so, you know, salicylic acid, whatever it is, or, or some, you know, or salicylic, what is that? Salicylic That's acid is no, salicylic acid is, is used as, um, for a peel-type product. Mm. Well, anyway, you get that on a piercing, it's going to damage the, the healing, the healing tissue. So, um, another big thing I like to tell people when... Sometimes you have the back and forth where they're like, oh, shouldn't I do this? And, and then you have to kind of give them logic, but also like very, 
accessible, not dumbed down because people aren't dumb, but um, I like to tell people like, your body is going to heal the wound. A healthy immune system is going to do all the work. All you're trying to do is rinse the piercing. You're not trying to force it to heal and you're not trying to kill, kill, kill germs. Like you want to rinse away the germs that land on your body during the day. So that's why I want you spraying and rinsing with saline. Well, the easiest way to think about it is there's not a single product that I'm aware of in the world that you can buy that will make your skin grow faster. Why can't you say world? World. World. Um, yeah, there's not a single product that's going to make your skin grow faster, and that's what you're trying to do is you know, basically generate new tissue mm-hmm. to line the inside of this piercing. No product is going to make you grow skin faster. So what you're actually trying to do is keep the area clean, without disrupting the natural healing process that's taking place. Um, the disinfectant isn't going to cause your, your skin to repair itself or heal faster. You're just trying to keep everything um, unclean. And that's why people use saline, because it's supposed to neither overhydrate nor dehydrate your skin, which literally just means it's not supposed to interfere with your skin. So, in theory. Um, in theory. Um, what are some of the products that you might specifically tell people to, and I, I don't mean like lifestyle products like facial wash or something, like what are some of the, the, the cleaning products that you would tell people to avoid and what's the what's the logic behind it? Contact lens cleaner. Contact lens cleaner. Um, um, so, yeah, you, you, you hit that one. Contact lens cleaner is very often not supposed to go in your eyes. A lot of people have this leap of logic that's very rational that says, it's safe to go in my eyes, so it's safe to go on broken skin, which is actually a really, really smart leap of logic. But a lot of contact lens cleaner specifically says on it, don't spray this in your eyes. It's supposed, it, it's supposed to soak your lenses to kill off little fungal spores and things on them and let them soak in them for also, extended periods of time. Like the concept of biofilm, uh, a lot of that contact lens solution is meant to break down proteins and biofilm that will accumulate on lenses. So if you use that on a wound, it's very massively disrupting and irritating. Right. So um, different contact lens cleaner has different ingredients. You can actually flip it over and look at it. Sterile saline is just 0.9% sodium chloride, if I'm I'm right. And that's all that's in it, whereas sterile saline that's used for contact lenses, it is kind of falsely advertised because it's not just sterile saline. It's sterile saline plus other products. I can't remember what it is, boric acid, that's often what's in contact lens cleaner. Um, and again, it, it's diluted to an extent where if you rinse a broken wound with it, it's not going to like make it really sore or inflamed, but we're talking about once or twice a day, every day for weeks and months, it's going to gradually just get more and more inflamed and more and more irritated. And it might not get infected, but it might not look like it's healing. And it's because you're using a product that's not designed for that purpose. But then again, it's completely reasonable for a client to think that that would work because it says sterile saline on it. So we're already at a bit of a disadvantage having to say, okay, don't make it yourself, buy sterile saline, but not that sterile saline because you can't get the one that we use in that. And it's, you know, you're already trying to like educate them on what to use and then explain to them that the thing that has that label on it isn't that thing. Well, to, to talk about it, speaking to a piercer and not speaking to a, a piercing client. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, it's it's saline, but that saline is meant to carry the other chemicals that are doing a job. It's just it's just a carrier. 
Like when you read um, povidone iodine, when I was doing my, my class about uh, skin prep. Post Malone iodine? Post Malone iodine. Povidone iodine. People didn't know what povidone was. Povidone is an aqueous polymer, and it's just the liquid carrier that powdered iodine is a naturally powder-based product when it's manufactured. So you you put it into povidone as like a, a, a an aqueous polymer liquid carrier, and that's the iodine you clean people with. So saline um, for for contact lens solution is, is just carrying the other chemicals doing the job. Um, so if you're, if you're looking at a product and you're trying to think like, is this safe for use on a, on a piercing, if the ingredients are anything other than saline, the answer is probably no. Um, and saline, like sometimes when you buy just saline, the ingredients will say sodium chloride and purified water, and that's it. And if it has anything else in it, chances are it's not going to be a good idea to put that on a healing wound, especially a, a healing piercing. So it's important, if you're a piercer listening to this, to understand these products. And, and I know it can be really intimidating for like younger piercers or piercers that, that don't have a lot of access to information or haven't been to conferences or, or whatever, don't have mentorship. Um, but it's, it's up to you to, to search out this stuff and, and ask, like, why? And you, again, you don't want to ask why in a Facebook forum because that will be the worst day of your life. Well, but yeah. you need to seek out the information and understand why. Some piercers lack perspective as well, depending on their location. Like when I started piercing, I don't even think there was like adequate distribution for sterile saline to piercers within the UK, yeah. let alone on the high street where there still isn't like distribution for just retail customers walking into pharmacies or chemists or whatever. So like there, I'm sure there are dozens of countries probably the majority of countries on the rest of the planet that don't have high street access to saline mm. and maybe don't have like you know Amazon Prime delivery so when we talk about things like let's just get some sterile saline like it's the easiest thing in the world it's very elitist um, like it's also it's elitist it's, and it's also short sighted because it reflects a very tiny tiny period in piercing history mm. it's not to say it's not a good thing it's just, you know, if somebody makes a comment like, I've been telling my customers to, to use this product, do you have any suggestions? Yeah. And maybe their aftercare is not perfect. It's probably not wise to just immediately, um, you know, highlight how little experience you have working in other places by saying, I mean, you don't just use sterile saline, you monster. There's, there's kind of a double-edged sword <clears throat> in um, the brochures that the APP puts out. And I remember when I was on the board, um, each board is going to have their vision of what they want to improve and change and push forward and whatever. Um, and when I was on the board, one of those issues was let's update the aftercare brochures. Let's update the aftercare brochures. And I remember debates bordering on arguments in the meetings where it was like we, we shouldn't put um, instructions for mixing sea salt solution in the brochure. And I remember the, the debate was like, there are so few, like, okay. If, I made a corner. Oh, Sorry. Good, good job. No, if you, if you look at the U.S., which is almost all of the APP board of directors, myself included, um, yes, we have access to sterile saline. Most of us are going to sell it in our studios. But you have to step outside of that. If you step to Bolivia or... Taiwan or where you know wherever in the world, Iceland, you know, like they might not have sterile saline. So it's like, well, what are you going to tell them to do? Just do nothing. 
Um, and like when you don't tell somebody something to do, like they're going to default to whatever the internet says, and then it's going to be like alcohol, antibiotics, you know, right. antibacterial soap. Just like you have tiers of sales, you know, like you have your basic titanium, dual titanium, simple gold, crazy elaborate gold. Yeah. Sometimes it can be worth having at least two tiers of aftercare. Like what if the client genuinely can't access, for whatever reason, your perfect aftercare advice, what do you say then? Um, well, what do you say then? I say just warm, clean water. Yeah, I say that um, clean, warm running water, piercings love clean, warm running water. Um, and if you're in a situation where maybe you're at a festival, maybe you're traveling, still bottled water is another option if you need a clean water source. Because if you're somewhere like a festival, um, and say, for example, you don't have saline, you forgot to bring it with you, or something's happened to it, you can't be using those chemical showers. Mm. You know, like that water is not safe to drink. Um, so there are situations like that where it's, it's just good to have something in your pocket to say, no, it's not ideal, but this is going to help you stop just, you know, abandoning it altogether mm-hmm. and help you keep on top of your cleaning. So still bottled water is a good one if you're um, at something like that. And like a lot of a lot of what I try to tell people is like with a healing wound, if it's discharging something, you're, you're not trying to like pick and force that stuff off, but you do want to rinse that away because that's like, the discharge of healing. That's what your body is getting rid of through the process of healing. So you want to rinse that away. So I really like to, to tell people to focus on like just water pressure in the shower, mm-hmm. clean, warm, running water, just not so much like power washing and blasting it off or something, but like, you know, if you can use a comfortable water pressure, not enough that it hurts the piercing, but if you can use a, a comfortable stream of pressure, uh, pressurized, clean, warm, running water, that can be fantastic too. Like when, when people have a piercing that's going to be prone to having a lot of dry discharge under a fold or in like a little nook or something like a, like a rook piercing or a conch piercing or something like that. I really like to tell them like, Hey, do you have a detachable shower head? Put it on a strong setting, but not one that's so strong it's going to hurt and just kind of blast the, the piercing, get rid of some of the, the dry discharge that's on there. Um, I just completely went blank. Um, so while we're talking about showering, for me, you talk about showering, let me get another one more time. You mean your orange juice? My orange juice. So, um, something that I first learned maybe like five years ago at a UKTP conference, it was actually Beth Rosumsky's aftercare class, I think, was where I heard this for the first time, was about how hard water and soft water affects the skin and affect its combination with soaps in the shower and that kind of thing. And it never occurred to me before that point that that would have anything to do with piercing. And what it comes back to is lots of people travel. And we're not just talking about traveling to different climates, we're talking about like traveling up and down the country. And a couple of years ago, when I was traveling between Scotland and England quite a lot for work, doing guest spot at Blue Lotus, I was coming from Glasgow to Newcastle, Glasgow to Newcastle on a regular basis. And I found that several of my piercings got like really, really dried out, really inflamed, really unhealthy. And I'm fairly confident that a lot of that was due to the massively different water qualities that I was jumping back and forth to. I think if you change where it is that you're staying, particularly on a regular basis, and you're exposed to totally different qualities of water, 
that can kind of make your skin go a little bit crazy. Like that's not at all, I mean, not just in relation to piercing, but just in your skin generally, how dry it gets or how oily it gets. Um, so that was another thing that I learned that hadn't, I had never thought had anything to do with piercing that turned out to be really interesting. Hard water, for people that aren't aware, is water that has absorbed a lot of um, minerals like limestone, like it's come from uh, a quarry or a reservoir where it's absorbed um, like the elements around it. And soft water um, is water that has had those minerals removed or um, that's been um, collected through like rain, rain is soft water. Um, and so hard water has a completely different effect on soaps, basically. It makes it a lot harder for soaps to lather and if you soap your body, hard water will do a much worse job of removing the soap because it doesn't lather properly and you're more likely to end up with soap that build up a film on your skin, um, whereas that's less likely to happen with soap. And this is kind of one of those little nuggets of knowledge that, it, no, it's not going to come up every day in your aftercare. Yeah. But there are going to be those situations where a client is going to be exactly in that position where maybe they're traveling or maybe they've changed regions, maybe someone's just moved to the area. I mean, the like the, the water that you get like in London, for example, is nothing like the water that you get in Glasgow. They are completely different water types. Um, so even if someone's moved a few miles and they're suddenly finding, you know, my piercings have been healthy up until now and all of a sudden they've become really dry or um, a little bit more flaky or a little bit more irritated, that could be something that you could just have there, you know, nestled away in your brain somewhere to say, well, have you, have you recently changed your location? What has there been some kind of event in your life that suddenly happened? And it's surprising how, how much of the time it's something like that. Um, so I think little little pieces of information like that are, to me, super interesting. I'll move this back in a minute. Ah. We're backlit. Audio people are going to be really thrilled that you're fixing the, the backlighting. <laughs> okay, the audio is probably dog shit because we're also not facing the laptop. See? Isn't that so, better? Yeah. Isn't that better, something, folks? Something that you may not have known. Um, hard water and soft water. And also, like, here's a, here's a really important thing, because I, I, I know that there's at least one piercer out there who's probably intimidated as shit by this conversation, and they're just like... You're doing a jigsaw puzzle. <laughs> really badly. I don't think anyone is intimidated. Well, no, but I mean, like, you know, it's a lot of information, and they haven't been exposed yeah. to that information yet. Sometimes it... Like, I remember hearing certain stuff like this when I was younger in my piercing career, and being like, oh, I'm a fucking shitty piercer, you know? Yeah. So it's like... It's information that you learn over time. You can research, you can learn more. Also, like now you can see my makeup so much better. Lola did my makeup. You're so pretty. You're so pretty. Um, so like, don't get intimidated. Just like aftercare changes over time, um, our understanding of aftercare changes over time. And it's, it's, yeah, it's okay, you know? Um, so when I talk to people, I have an aftercare pamphlet, you have an aftercare pamphlet. You write down the jewelry size. You give them information about like downsizing. Um, does your does your pamphlet explain what downsizing is at all, or do you verbally do that? On the back sheet of my pamphlet, there's a whole panel where there's a picture of something that hasn't been downsized and a picture of something that has. 
and have tried to reduce it to the absolute simplest way of understanding it because I find that downsizing is something that clients still really struggle with. What, like I've had clients who have come in with a completely healthy but still very much swollen piercings and it's you know like eating up all of the length of the jewelry but maybe it's like six weeks old and they've been told oh well I heard after six weeks I should come back and you're like there's nothing to downsize on this like it, it's still totally happy and healthy but it's still swollen for whatever reason so the way that I try and explain it to my clients is the average time for me like in my location bearing in mind different locations will yield different healing results is between one and three months something could be downsized from as little as a month if you're just experiencing no swelling if it was less than that I would still consider it too much of a risk to make any changes to it um, but it could be anything from one month to two months to three months and that means somebody could have their nose pierced two friends could have their nose pierced on the same day one of them might be due downsized at six weeks and one of them might be due downsized at 12 weeks it just depends does your piercing look like this and is it more than a month old so that's what my aftercare says it's you can have your piercing downsized if it's more than a month old and it looks like this picture here and has visible extra posts without you pressing on it without you manipulating it in any way because that's another thing i've had is where people come in with like an oral piercing and they do that thing where they stick their lip out really far and look there's extra space yeah. and they're like how often no. in your average day do yeah. you do, do you do that with your face? All Just because you can force the extra length out, you have to look at it when it's natural and relaxed. So that's kind of what I've trimmed it back to is, is it more than a month old? Does it look like this? If no to either, don't have a downside right now. If yes, have a downside. You know what I've found has been massively helpful, especially when it comes to helix piercings? I feel like... For me, helix piercings are the ones that I really, really have to drive home the importance of downsizing for people. And uh, what I found that's been really effective, I don't remember who it was that gave me the suggestion. Um, that I, oh, you know what? It's Kellen. Kellen Smith from The Powers That Be um, in Vancouver, Washington. Um, I take a picture of the person's, the back of their piercing, the back of their helix, and I say, this is your reference photo of day one. I want you to t I want you to recreate this photo at this angle, um, like you know, every two weeks or so, and you can really get a sense of how the piercing is healing. Right. And then when it comes down, like when you see this slack sticking out again, maybe not even all of it, but a significant amount of this slack sticking back out again, that's when you want to schedule your downsize appointment. And I find that it's been so much more effective for people coming in, like when they actually need a downsize, not just some arbitrary thing. Because if you tell somebody you need to come in for a downsize at four weeks. Yeah. A lot of times they, they schedule an appointment, come in and use up a good amount of your day and they, they're not ready for a downsize and they just want to talk and troubleshoot, which is fine to see them catch up and everything and then like let them know that like they're being cared for by someone, but it eats up your day when you're not making money. So I, I, I only want people to come in for a downsize when they're ready to be downsized. Yeah, in the, in the post-COVID kind of era, um, I've been really encouraging clients to email me as well. I think that the way that Calvin yeah. suggests is great because it's something the clients can access without needing you. They yeah. can just look at their phone and see it. Um, but usually if I have a client that's a little bit unsure about, you know, how do I know, 
Um, I'll be like, well, just take a picture of it, email it to me, mm-hmm. send it to the friend. It's never a problem. It takes me two seconds to look at it, and I can be like, yeah, we can that do that. That is the most common thing we say anytime anybody calls for a troubleshooting send thing now. Hey, I'm having trouble with this, but before I even give them one suggestion, could you send me? Some, and I also have to say, I have to say, clear photos. Yeah. Send me some clear photos because people send like the worst quality, Pictures blurry like photos. Six feet away. Or like this close, where it's like I can't even tell what body part that is. Um, also, like this is a 500 piece puzzle. I almost got a thousand piece puzzle. Oh. Yeah. Thank God we have piercing because we are not designed to be like professional puzzle doers. Yeah. Yeah. My my my. Wrestling fan, friend Ray. I have a friend from the wrestling shows that I go to on a frequent basis, and they've been doing like 2,000 piece puzzles and like really complicated um, pictures and designs. Do you think this would like upset them? Like if they were watching us and they couldn't help, do you think they'd be like. Do you know that meme of Skinner from The Simpsons where he's like looking down and just says, pathetic? Like that's probably what Ray would think of our, our puzzle skills. I'm trying. I know you're doing good. You're getting your. I, so, I got all these. I got all these edge pieces. You're very edgy. I am very edgy. Do what you have a problem that all your edges are lined up on one edge, and you clearly got more than enough there for an edge? Anyway, um, when it comes to aftercare, aftercare. so aftercare, aftercare, I write down. Um, the piercing name, so they actually know what the name is, so because, like, you know, I don't want people calling a conscious orbital anymore. It's driving me insane. Yeah. I write down their piercing name. I write down the jewelry size and style. Um, and I also tell them, like, I'm writing down your jewelry size and style. Please hang on to this so we both know exactly what size jewelry I started you with because lots of clients still tend to think that there's a, a default one-size-fits-all. Yeah. Like, with nipple piercings, it happens all the time. People call and they're like, oh, what size jewelry do you use for nipple piercings? And it's like, whatever size the person needs, you know? And they're like, oh, because I just want to get some jewelry. And it's like, yeah, I, I can't tell you without seeing the piercing or seeing what I wrote down on your aftercare form. So I write that down. I say it's it's a great thing to, to hang on to or even take a picture on your phone so that you have it and you know exactly what it is because we don't, we don't keep those records. Some shops do, but I don't. Like, I keep, like, what piercing they got but not the exact size and style because we have so many options. So I I write down that, I write down the date they got their piercing and then estimated healing time. And then just below that is a section that explains downsizing and says, we recommend to have your your, your jewelry downsized at, and then we'll either write down like, you know, one to two months, two to four months, six months, when healed, whatever, you know, we, we write down downsize information. So, um, I think another thing that's important about getting clients to understand downsizing is it trains them to understand that there is an aspect of ongoing maintenance to their piercing that's often yeah. overlooked, and there's a financial cost to that, and that is part of the process. So there are there are some piercings that require multiple downsizes. Good where, where, yeah, even like today with bridge piercings, it's not at all unusual for me to do two downsizes on a bridge because it will go down initially and then it'll kind of settle and nest into the skin a little bit further. You get a lot with lip piercings as well. Um, So I kind of feel that it's important to make sure that a client's aware of what they're getting themselves into because you don't want them to be upset when they're like, what's the now there's another thing I have to buy? So I always try and be really careful with saying like, 
this is something that you have to come back for and making sure as well they understand like you don't need to necessarily get the new end piece this is something I like to just tell them explicitly know. the cost of the post I, I like to say you know for, for, for me I charge $15 for a threadless librette post yeah. um, 18, 16, 14H same price 15 bucks and I always tell them like um, you know some piercings that oh it's suggested or a downsize is available but some piercings it's like it's very important that you downsize it uh, it's typically a $15 charge to do that. We don't charge a service fee when we do downsizing uh, because we think that's a very important part of maintaining health. But when I started doing all this threadless jewelry, when I when I had that point in my career where I was moving from not good jewelry to good jewelry, and it was tough enough to sell the initial jewelry, let alone a, a double dip sale, uh, what I used to make, and I think I got the, this idea from Thrive Studios in Canada, I made a business card. And one side of it just explained why downsizing is important. The back was their jewelry size and everything, and then that counted as a 20% off coupon for their downsize post. And that, that helped a lot, too, when I was transitioning into it. I think holier than thou do like, um, I don't, don't know if this is true, sorry, holier than thou it's not, I'm just like making shit up about your studio. But I think that they do like a, a half price downsize or mm -hmm. something. So like there are studios that do stuff like that. Mine doesn't because I'm small, so don't be mad at me. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm the same as you. My posts are £13 and there's no service charge. I don't have a service charge for any jewellery installations. Anytime someone buys jewellery, they're welcome to have it fitted if they want. Um, so it's just the jewellery itself. Um, but yeah, I think that it is, it is wise to just make sure clients understand that it's not free. And also understand that it's not super expensive. Right. Some clients will be alienated at the thought of thinking, oh, this is going to be a whole other expensive thing, like getting the piercing. And some clients can potentially be upset when they have to pay for it. Um, that was something that happened to me a little bit earlier in my career where clients would be like, well, I have to pay for it. And you'd be like, well, yeah, you're, you're buying another piece of jewellery. And you'd be like, well, I just thought it would all be included. And you have to actually explain, like, no, it's not. It's an extra part of the service. Mm -hmm. So it's good for both of you to really understand that. Um, some some piercings downsizing is so crucial. Like I don't I don't do cheap piercings anymore, and part of it was because people just could not be convinced to actually come back for their downsizes and maintenance, and people were getting makeup and all kinds of whatever issues, and I just didn't want to deal with the hassle. It was just it it cost me more time than it was worth income. Yeah. So, uh, but but before I had given up on cheap piercings. That was so crucially important for downsizing that I used to actually include the first set of downsize posts in my initial piercing fee. And I would fully inform them that I'm going to charge you this for what we're using today, but I'm also going to charge you your first set of downsize posts. They'll be totally free when you need your first downsize and blah, 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 blah. And still people wouldn't come back for them. Yeah. I think when it comes to something like cheeks that's so difficult to heal, it's a little bit like me with kids' lobes. Like, I don't do kids' lobes. <clears throat> because I very publicly and openly pointed out on my social media last year... That you despise children? After, no. The children were actually completely fine. Uh, I despise children's parents. Yeah, um, yeah I, I experimented for the first time in my over a decade-long career of experimenting with children. I need more. I don't this anymore real estate on the table. And um, I just, I found working with parents to be so challenging that much like with the cheek piercings I got to a point where I was like you know I can live without this I don't want the money and I think if you're in a situation where you're like you know what I actually I, I don't want to be charging money for this and I don't want the money for this 
you can absolutely make that decision. Sometimes we convince ourselves we have to do absolutely everything, otherwise we're a failure. Mm -hmm. And that's total bollocks. Kind of a little lizard. Lizard? So, um, inside my aftercare brochure, when you flip it open, one side is just some little general tips and tricks. I never got an aftercare brochure when you pierced me. Do you want to see mine? I brought one. Well, I got one in my suitcase. What? Yeah, I brought one. I brought one for this conversation because I'm prepared. Fine, fine. Jeez. All right. Well, you talk to people about something. Don't just have dead air. Okay. Um, I don't feel like we've done a brilliant job of having any kind of linear chain of thought in this podcast. And I appreciate that for people that genuinely want to learn something useful, that is not helpful. So just to carry on from an earlier thread, when I was talking about um, having highlights in your aftercare speech when you're explaining aftercare to clients, obviously you'll have an aftercare leaflet that you might go through. I always go through mine pretty much in full, verbally, before I hand it to the client. I literally read over it with them. I have a section on it that's kind of like the most important things to remember, and I always try my best to punctuate those things. And I don't confuse them with other little, what I would call anecdotal bits of advice. Like there are little bits of advice that you'll just kind of say, hey, you know, given the style that you're wearing, here's something to consider. Or I noticed that you have long hair. I noticed that you quite like to wear eye makeup. Just keep this in mind and that in mind. Those are what I would call like little anecdotal asides that you can give to clients and you can be helpful, but they're not necessarily as important as you cannot sleep on this. Sleeping on it will cause it to migrate. Sleeping on it will cause excess swelling. Sleeping on it can cause hypertrophic scarring. These are really big problems um, that you're wanting to avoid. So it's very important, I think, to boil down your aftercare to a handful of points that are, if you get nothing else right, get these things right. And we can talk all day about everything else, but not until you've nailed these things. So when you're explaining aftercare to somebody, even if you're doing it as an experiment, do it to each other. Um, if you have co-workers in your studio and just say, how many points are you actually delivering here? Because if it's like 20, 30 points, how You know what it is? Here? It's like that fashion thing. It's just like, you know, you turn and you look back in the mirror and the first thing that catches your eye, you get rid of it. Yeah, take off one extra thing. Take off one extra thing. Um, so, yeah, basically, what is it? If, if your client is going to forget 90% of what you tell them, what do you want them to remember? And those are the things you need to demarcate from everything else. You can't just deliver 20, 25, 30 points in the same tone. Don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this. Because they have no way of knowing what's important and what's not, and that's a problem. So that's something that you can improve on that's completely free. And I think it's always great to try and focus on those skills that cost no money, that are really, really easy to improve with practice. Um, and well, if, you, if you have a family member that doesn't have piercings or that isn't into piercing, you can say, I'm going to say some things to you and I want you to tell me back what you can remember. Super simple. So, a couple of things to enforce what Lola said, reinforce what Lola said. Yeah. Um, your, your pamphlet, your written aftercare, your, your website aftercare should be short and sweet and easy to comprehend with no prior piercing experience. And then your verbal aftercare speech should be the specifics of that person's lifestyle and piercing. You can talk to them and you can say, oh, do you have any questions? Like when I'm doing certain ear piercings, I might not tell 
I, I might not put it in my aftercare brochure. Well, you know, you, you shouldn't wear earbud-style headphones, but over-the-ear-style headphones is okay as long as it's not pressing here. That, like those are things that I talk to the person about in person. My brochure will just say something simple as try not to have a lot of excess pressure on your piercing, things like that. So this is my aftercare brochure. You open it up, and this is the whole section where you write down, you know, the jewelry size and the importance of downsizing. And then inside is simple things, tips, how you clean it, and then like piercing specific tips. Earlobes, like I try to eliminate the absolute most common problems before they can start. Nostril piercings, try not to get makeup on it. Um, earlobe piercings with COVID life, a lot of it is, you know, try not to have your face mask pressing up against the back of your earlobe or the back of your conch or something like that. Um, simple little things like that that I know are going to be very, very common troubleshooting issues. So those types of things I will have in my brochure, but I don't want to like suffocate people with like 20 years of uh, piercing experiences because they're just not going to retain, retain anything. I want people to remember a couple of things. Don't touch your piercing. Don't put chemicals on your piercing. Don't change it yourself until it's healed. Those are the main three points I want people to understand. Like when they when they walk out the door, they can have the brochure. They can have a little bit more information on it. They can have access to me or the other piercer in the studio, Evan. Um, but I don't want to drown people in information. Yeah, it definitely gets to a point where it's not actually helpful and it's just overwhelming. Did you ever see this? No. What's the what's seventh grade in the U.S.? Seventh grade. How old are you in seventh grade? I was. 12, I think, okay. 11, maybe. I, so I don't, this isn't a fact that's Lola verified, but I did Google this like two weeks ago for a different reason. I read that in the UK, the average reading age, like the average age of just like literacy in your reading level is nine. Um, and Years the, old or great? And the, the age of nine. So, and the US one was seventh Three. grade. Which is about 11, 12 years old. That's the average reading age. So it's good to keep in mind when you're typing out written documents and even when you're explaining aftercare to clients to keep in mind that this is a subject that you might know inside out, but it has to be palatable to the average person. And the average person has a reading age between 9 and 12. Um, so I just think that that's another good thing to keep in mind. Yeah. So, um, aftercare. It's not going to be a very dynamic podcast if you're just reading a brochure. You, talk, you, talk, you threw me under the bus. You talk. Okay. Um, I have uh, a section on my aftercare of some common bad chemicals to not use. You know, Bactine, ear care solution. Um, and when I, when I talk to people... Sometimes with a specific piercing like earlobes, I'll want to dispel common myths. Um, most of the time when people go to get their earlobe pierced in the United States, they're going to like uh, an accessory store in, in the mall, a place that pierces with a plastic gun. And I think as piercers, we all know what the aftercare is there. Twist it and turn it and move it and put chemicals on it. So I want to tell people that are coming in for earlobes, especially when it's like, you know, little kids' earlobes now. Um, you don't want to twist or turn or move your jewelry at all, even when you're cleaning it. Leave the jewelry stationary, and I tell them moving the jewelry around is disrupting the healing process. Similar if you were like picking at a scab. Like don't pick at the scab because it's not going to heal. Don't pick at your piercing because it's not going to heal. You're going to be disrupting the healing process. That seems to help people quite a bit. Um, I'll tell them 
don't put chemicals on your piercing. And the easiest way for me to say that is, if you wouldn't put a chemical in your eye, don't put it on your piercing. So that's why uh, sterile wound wash saline is, is so great and so easy because you can spray it in your eye and it, it won't even feel it. It'll just feel like water because it's basically tears. Um, so that can really help if people are like, well, should I use this or should I not use this? And it's like, what's the eye test? Like, would you put that in your eye? And they're like, well, no, I wouldn't put that on my eye. And it's like, well, okay, don't put that on your piercing then. And it's just, that's just the easiest way to relate to people, especially those people who might have maybe a, a lower grade reading comprehension or whatever, you can say things that just make sense to people. Um, don't put chemicals on your piercing that you wouldn't put in your eye. Uh, and that really helps. Yeah. Um, let's talk about oral piercings. How long have you been doing? Are, are you doing oral piercings currently? Yeah. How long well, have you been doing? Um, Not like overall, but like since COVID. I'm not sure. Uh, for a while, it was illegal to do oral piercings. Um, there was a law against removing your mask, um, and that stayed illegal for over a year. Um, so I can't remember the exact date, but it was actually the um, it was kind of forgotten about for quite a long time, I think, by the local authorities. And it was actually like the the hair and, and beauty industry that really pushed for it to be permitted again, because thinking about people like facialists, waxers, um, all kinds of people that are doing makeup, bridal makeup, and, and all that kind of thing, weren't allowed to work. But there was a literal exemption for guys wanting to get their beards trimmed. Um, so it was just one of those things where like, well, yeah, that's fine, but you can't do all this other stuff. And I think part of it came from a real lack of understanding with um, the level of health and safety training and hygiene training that's required to do certain jobs. Obviously, there's no way for us to clean ourselves out of an airborne pathogen. There's just not. But for barbers to be allowed to do a certain thing and, you know, a facialist not to be allowed to do their thing, it was certainly a discrepancy between those professions in terms of, like, uh, how they were viewed. Now that so, I understand contact times, though, some of it might make sense if your service, like, like a body piercing, so fast, like like for, for, for me, we just started doing oral piercings again, like weeks ago. Um, and, uh, you know, when people pull down their mask, they really only have to have their, their mouth uncovered for, let's say, five minutes tops, yeah. you know, but like an esthetician or something like that, maybe it's a half an hour or more, and that might be a close contact transmission. Well, in my location, at least, when it was finally permitted again, it was very much uh, as it should be down to, you know, you have to write a, a risk assessment for whatever it is you're doing. What is your contact time? What do you do if there's an exposure incident? How are you handling, you know, this and that? So just like any other risk exposure plan. Mm -hmm. So, um, anyway, we're digressing. Yeah, let's, let's not go but, too far into COVID. Um, uh, yeah, a while, anyway. Certainly since, like, last summer. So, um, for me, I've had to kind of remember a lot of my, my aftercare. I did my first two tongue piercings in like two years. I don't need tongue piercings. Yeah, well, I wish I didn't either. But um, so you know, talking to talking to, to somebody about that and like trying to wake up the own like like the logic centers in my mind of like what was I telling people before COVID to help them understand this on a I don't know like a logic sense. Um, but for oral piercing, it's really important that we touch on thrush, and then we can probably start to wind it down actually. But so thrush is think of it. When we're talking about in the mouth specifically, you know, when, when Lola talked about it for like vulva piercings, like you want to think that there's a 
there's a healthy pH in, in areas that have a lot of moisture. Um, and moisture can very easily breed bacteria and yeast and, and other, you know, other pathogens. Is that what that counts as pathogen? Anyway, um, so your body is going to have a, a pH balance to fight off growth of, of things like bacteria and yeast and maintain like a, a healthy um, environment. So in the mouth, it's no exception. Like you have a healthy mouth uh, until you don't, basically. And one of the easiest ways to not have a healthy mouth is by basically flushing it with an unnecessary amount of chemicals very frequently. If you're doing something like, you know, getting your wisdom teeth removed, that's completely different than when you're trying to heal uh, a tongue piercing. So what, what I want people to understand when they're getting a tongue piercing is you already have, I would assume, like when I look at someone's tongue, if their tongue looks nice and healthy and pink, I would assume that you have a healthy pH balance in your mouth. So you don't want to disrupt that. Um, going back to aftercare, I think every piercer, if they're not now, they, they know at some point piercers were, were suggesting things like Listerine or other really harsh chemicals, things that would burn and sting. And that's what aftercare was for oral piercings for a long time. When I started, it was like, well, Listerine. And then it was like Listerine uh, diluted 50% with water. And that was basically to try to like reduce the stinging. And the reason why is because Listerine is alcohol and thymol, which is thyme oil. Um, thymol, uh, Listerine, the original product, the, the brown Listerine that almost nobody uses as a mouth rinse these days. Brown Listerine was created by Joseph Lister. And it was to disinfect tools for dentists. Thymol is thyme oil, oil of the thyme herb. Were you going to say something? Nothing related to piercing. Thanks for interrupting me. Sorry. <laughs> what were you going to say? Is Lister that guy that was like, I can cut off someone's leg dead fast and then he would do it and they would die? Yep. Joseph Lister. Anyway. Joseph Lister um, created this product to, to disinfect surgical tools and dental tools, and it was Listerine. That's why it's called Listerine. It's Joseph Lister. And it was uh, thymol, which is thyme oil, and alcohol, and it would basically just burn away whatever bacteria was on the surface. Um, so dentists were like, oh, I'm using this to disinfect my tools. I'm going to use this to disinfect your goddamn mouth after I like, you know, have to take out whatever your tooth or something like that. Um, so... Use sporadically. Use once a day for fresh breath. It's not really that destructive or that damaging. But if you overuse it, the, the thymol and the alcohol basically kills all the, the healthy resident bacteria in your mouth. And when you don't have that healthy resident bacteria in your mouth, opportunistic bacteria, transient bacteria, can, can multiply at a very, very fast rate. And one thing that resident bacteria helps to keep... Oh, excuse me, at a healthy balance is yeast. So if you strip away that healthy resident bacteria in the mouth, um, you can basically get an opportunistic yeast infection in the mouth. And that is called Candida albicans. Uh, the, the, what's the, like, nickname? What's the, what's the term I'm using? Yeah. You know, I know what thrush is, but, like, Candida albicans, the, the nickname, the shorter, the colloquialism. I thought that was thrush. Yes, it is thrush, but I'm saying what is like turning candida into thrush? What is that called when you giving it a nickname, giving it a colloquialism? Anyway, thrush. So when you hear the term thrush, a lot of a lot of parents might be familiar with it because babies can get thrush very easily from breastfeeding and different things cleaning the mouth. Um, I know this is a lovely conversation. 
Um, and basically, when when uh, you get that opportunistic candida uh, imbalance in the mouth, it makes the tongue look white and pasty and gross. And it's very common. It was very common for me. When clients see that, they think, my piercing is infected, so obviously I'm not cleaning it enough. So they would use more Listerine, they would rinse their mouth more, they would strip out more of that healthy resident bacteria, and they would just create more and more yeast infection in their mouth. And Candida. In a kind of six degrees of Kevin Bacon type moment, what do they use to treat babies with thrush from breastfeeding? Gentian violet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, unrelated to piercing. Which I think is still hilarious, going back to that whole, like, gentian violet gives you cancer thing, like, with the, the whole Canada health well, study one thing. One kind of worms at a time. Yeah, okay. It doesn't. Short version, spoiler alert. Anyway. Probably so no more than anything else that you're serving. No more than McDonald's food will. Yeah. So, um, so, uh, if you have clients who have, like, gross, white, pasty tongues, you really want to talk to them and don't just assume that they're using whatever aftercare you explain for them to use because they probably Googled it and then somebody in some like Yahoo Answers thing or whatever was just like, you should use more Listerine. Um, so that'll just make it worse and worse and worse. So I suggest either just rinsing with water, just clean water. Don't touch your piercing. Don't touch your jewelry while it's healing. Um, if you want to rinse with something after a meal, just rinse with clean water. Um, I also do suggest a mouth rinse called Biotine or sometimes even Crest Pro Health, but I always emphasize alcohol-free. Um, and if, if it stings, you don't want to be using it. I usually suggest mouthwashes for dry mouth because what that does is it helps to maintain a healthy pH balance in the mouth. So Biotine is a product that's readily available in the States, and that's typically what I'm suggesting to people for uh, tongue piercings anyway. Um, but it's really important to not suggest something like Listerine something with alcohol, something that burns and irritates the mouth. And if people have those problems, talk to them and be like, have you tried anything else? There's another uh, peroxide-based product called Glyoxide that used to be kind of popular in the 90s, and it would do the same thing. It would strip out all that the healthy bacteria in, in the mouth, and it would cause all the problems that the person thought was from the piercing, but it wasn't. It was from the aftercare they were using. And then when they double down the aftercare, it just gets worse and worse and worse. Um, so that's why you want to kind of like be, oh, the, have I ever used this term with you? When you're trying to discern what a problem is and you have to kind of like do the dance of trying to figure out what the source of the problem is, Sherlock Holes? Sherlock Holes. Sherlock Holes. You have to kind of like figure it out. Deductive reasoning. One thing that I would add, um, because I feel like I've done a terrible job of giving out aftercare information in this aftercare podcast, is that... Um, it's really important to approach things like thrush, as an example, um, but also other things like oral or genital herpes, for example, um, in a completely non-judgmental mm -hmm. way. It's completely irresponsible for us to look at those things and be like, oh, you know, guess yeah. what? The, guess what was wrong with this client right. today? You know, like. Yeah, it's true. There may be times that you see something, and we're all human. Sometimes we get a little bit grossed out by stuff, but. You know, it's nobody's fault that they have these conditions for the most part. Mm -hmm. I just think it's important to remember that there may be times that you're faced with these scenarios and they're not unusual and they're very, very common. So I just feel like it would be a little bit of a waste to not take the opportunity to say, 
forewarned is forearmed in these situations. You should be able to be there for your clients and give them helpful advice and feedback, even if it's above your head and above your station. No one's asking you to pretend to be a doctor, but if you familiarize yourself with some common skin complaints, common skin conditions, um, and issues like what we're talking about, there's nothing at all wrong with saying, look, I think this might involve more than just the piercing itself. It might be worth um, contacting your doctor about this if this is something that's ongoing and giving you a cause for concern. Um, there's nothing wrong with looking out for um, precursor signs for things like breast cancer. Um, those kind of things. If, if a client's experiencing an issue with a nipple that's got nothing to do with the piercing itself. If if people ever let, let's talk let's let's save that for a troubleshooting episode. Yeah. Because like it's a it's a very it's a very it's a Pandora's box to even yeah. say anything about like you should maybe tell them to go see their doctor if they have well, cancer. I know it's so. different in America because yeah. you have, it's a whole other planet over there. Soon. Yes. Um. So I'm I'm not suggesting that you alarm anybody, but if you yeah. see something that you know in your head is you know a really worrying looking hole, well, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying like, have you had a look at that? Have you photographed it? It was just a thought. It was mm. you know something that um that you can keep an eye out for. I don't think there's anything wrong with telling clients, I don't think that this is something to do with the piercing. I think that this might be something to do with your that, skin. Let's, let's leave that. That's that's going to go down a long and winding road. And in the U.S., you have to, you'd have to be so careful. Because if, if I saw an issue and I was like, oh, man, you should maybe talk to a doctor about that. Um, yeah, here the doctor's free, so you can go and talk yeah. to him. Yeah. If you can get an appointment. So, like... All all kinds of things are, are gonna that, that's a whole that's a whole liability. Okay, thing. don't tell people to go to their doctor. Never tell people. Um, but okay, well what I was what I was trying to say before that was yeah. there are gonna be situations where you're confronted with something that clearly resembles a medical condition that you're not licensed or permitted to diagnose in, in any in any legal or ethical way. Mm -hmm. So you're gonna have to maneuver that situation as kindly as you can. First and foremost, sure. without being judgmental, yeah. and it's completely inappropriate to say to a client who might have something like thrush that they're unhygienic, that they're right. not caring for their piercing, when they in fact might have been overcleaning it for all you know. So if you do general work. A catch-all way that I would talk to U.S. piercers about it, because over here it seems like you have a lot of a lot of flexibility, access to medical things with that won't get you sued. Yeah. For me, it's always just like. When, when in doubt, I can always say, well, you know, my, my information base is limited as a body piercer. If you ever have questions that I can't answer, feel free to talk to a pharmacist, feel free to talk to a doctor, feel free to talk to a medical yeah. professional, but I don't ever want to freak somebody out and be like, you should go talk to a doctor. Because what's going to happen is if they go to a doctor, they're going to send me the bill. Well, what I usually say is if this is something that you're worried about, if this is different from your body, you know your body better than anyone else. If this is something that's abnormal for you, I'm telling you as a piercer, which is all I can tell you, I don't think this is related to the piercing, so it might be something that you might not want to ignore. Um, I try not to worry people, but you know we have access to people's bodies in a very private way. You do. Um, and I think if there's something that you see that you think is concerning, then it's... I, yeah, I, I've, heard, I've heard piercers... You know, say, but let's. I'm gonna put a pin in it because yeah. that's that's we're already far into it, and that's a far road. Mm -hmm. um, so, aftercare, basically, the short version is um, stop telling people to put uh, chemicals on the piercing. Mm -hmm. Please. Um, thank you for talking to me about aftercare. Yeah, I don't feel like that was very helpful. 
And did you really shit your pants? Well, we talked for over an hour, so there's got to be at least ten minutes of good information in there. The biggest bit that I managed to do. I found a butterfly. Oh. I don't understand how none of these fucking zebra bits go together. How many zebras are in this jigsaw puzzle? None of these go together. Bullshit. Get your friend. Anyway, um, thank you for, if you made it to the end of this podcast, double thank you. Um... I've got a lot of information on Patreon that you can check out. And seriously, like you're probably just going to shut off the podcast if I start doing a Patreon commercial at this point. I got a video about how to pierce nostrils from the inside out. You can watch that. Uh, it's really good, I think, anyway. Um, also, I, I don't know if I've talked about this yet. I'm going to be teaching at the APP conference uh, in Vegas in June. Um, I'm also going to be teaching at the uh, Coalition for Tattoo Safety, Tattoo and Piercing Safety event in Las Vegas in May. Um, and it, it seems like uh, conference planning is, is going forward, so uh, there, there might be a good chance of uh, a Ryan and Lola collaboration at some international piercing conferences in the fall. So. I'll be at the opening of an envelope. Stay tuned for more, folks, and visit me at patreon.com slash ryanpba for a whole bunch of information. I got that inverted nipple video, I got the nostril video, and I think I'm going to work on an anodizing video. So, Lola's working on a new class, I won't really say what it is yet, but I helped her film some stuff on this trip. It came out really good. So anyway, say, say, say bye to the people and where they can find you on the internet. Bye. I'm really sorry that I wasn't more helpful. Don't send people to their doctors and get sued. My name's Lola. I work at Forest Piercing, and I'm Ryan's girlfriend, and I'm also his MUA, which is... Makeup artist. Make, make I had to Google artist. it. I didn't know what that meant. Um, also, her um, her Dothra pins uh, are, are available. It's this design right here on the sticker. Dothra, how witty is that? It's like Mothra, but with doth piercings right? on an ear. And it helps with pronunciation. Yeah. Um, although I still say Daedra, so fuck that. But um, she has a, a enamel pin, and you can buy that on my website if you're in the U.S., or you can buy it on her website if you're in the U.K. So, I don't know, do that. Yeah. Um, thanks for listening to another episode of the Piercing Wizard Podcast, and I'm sorry it went so long. Um, we're going to try to work on this puzzle, but, um, yeah, I don't think it's going to get done tonight. All right, so if you made it to the end, I really appreciate it. I know the audio wasn't great, so I apologize. I'll do my best to bring over my, uh, my good recording equipment next time I go over there and, and talk with Lola. So, uh, go ahead and check out my new content at patreon.com slash ryanpba. I've got that new nostril piercing from the inside out video with the, uh, the exercise you can practice with. I've got that new rook video that I'm working on currently that should be published before the end of May. And if you're going to be at the APP conference, come and see me. Come and take my workshop. Uh, come and check out my table at the expo. I'm going to have some stuff to give away. Uh, I'm pretty excited to to see my friends. It's been three years since there's a, been an APP conference, so I think a lot of us are looking forward to getting back to Vegas and, and catching up with each other. Uh, I'll be back with another episode eventually. I'm not exactly sure when, but uh, we've got some, some plans for more stuff coming at you, and I'm sure I'm going to record a bunch of interviews at the APP conference. So uh, stay tuned through the, the spring and the summer, and I'll have more content for you. Thanks for listening. For more information about the show, visit piercingwizardpodcast.com or like Piercing Wizard Podcast on Facebook. 
For more info about your host, visit precisionbodyarts.com or search Ryan PBA on Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr. If you enjoy the show, you can subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. Music by Benny B. Blanco. Show copyright 2017, Precision Body Arts, LLC. All rights reserved.